Hello and welcome to another episode of The Grey Nato, a loose discussion of travel, diving, driving, gear, and most certainly watches. This is episode 174. It's proudly brought to you by the newly formed TGN supporter crew, and we thank you all so much for your continued support. James, this is uh, our last episode of 2021. Yeah, it sure is, and we're finishing the year with uh, sort of an absolute bang, as this episode features a chat with none other than a frequent TGN mention and a wonder of the automotive journalism world, Henry Catchpole. You know, it kind of goes without saying, but this has kind of been a long time coming, especially kind of two big fans of what Henry does, like uh, you and myself, Jason. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was probably within the first 10 episodes that that you probably included a, a Henry video in in a final notes. Mm-hmm. Um, at least I know it was in the first year, and, we, and we've we've traded links back and forth to a lot of uh, his work and it's uh it was a privilege to find out that that he actually is a listener of tgn uh so uh, I, we know he's listening to this one for sure but uh <laughs> he'd mentioned a while back that he was on a flight or a, a drive somewhere and he and he had tgn on the on the speakers and i was like wow that's that's awesome so um we invited him on and here we go and yeah, so as, as far as the end of the year, this will be our last episode for 2021. We'll be back, uh, you know, rested, likely a few pounds heavier for an episode on January 6th. That'll be a brand new episode. I hope everyone's pumped for it. I think it's going to be a great year for the show. Um, we certainly kind of have uh, have all our ducks in order to uh, to kind of get some interesting guests and, and good topics going. And, and I think uh, I think it's going to be a good year for sports watches, too. I have faith. <laughs> so ho- hopefully that all works out. But uh yeah, if you're if you're feeling like you're missing a show or whatever, go back and listen to an old episode, or uh, or you know maybe, maybe dig around some of the final notes and and fill your uh, fill your time that way. But we certainly in, in advance of the end of the show, we wish everyone as you know happy holidays. Assuming you you've got some time off, and uh, and then however you decide to celebrate, we hope it's a we hope it's a good time for sure. Jason, in a more you know sort of specific uh run, what what have you been up to lately? You know, we've got a bunch to talk about because of the the Q and A episode. Yeah, true. I know it's been a while. Gosh, you know, I'm, I'm looking out the window now. We've got it's melted down a bit, but we we got about a foot of snow last Friday. Um, and <laughs> and you know, I had a couple of comments. I you know, I went crazy posting photos on Instagram of of all the fun I've been having in the snow, shoveling and and snowshoeing and whatnot. But uh, you know, people I guess are split into two camps. Somebody said, uh, "Oh, move to Texas. Uh, you won't have to deal with the snow." And I'm like, "No way. I love this. I mean, to me, this is." You know, if it's going to be cold and dark, uh, I want heaps of snow. I just think it's so exciting. And that first big drop is is so great. So um, I've been getting out as much as I can. It's been pretty warm and nice blue sky with with this you know, beautiful, brilliant white snow everywhere. So oh, it sounds uh, lovely. It's been fun. And it's, it came at the perfect time. You know, it feels like it feels like the holidays. It feels like the end of the year and a proper winter. Um, you guys don't have any yet, right? Or you did have, have some a couple of weeks ago. We had we had a good we had a good dumping. A, a few weeks back. I mean, not a foot, but, you know, several inches. Yeah. Um, but now it's it's warmed up. I even think today it's significantly over freezing. So we'll see what the what the actual... I mean, the, the truth is that the lake gives us some weird stuff. We're so close to Lake Ontario. Yeah. It makes some storms way worse, but it can kind of pad your the temperature otherwise. Right, right. I, I like snow a bit. I don't like shoveling it so much. <laughs> I, and what Ontario does that, I'm sure Minnesota is exactly the same, but you know the thing where there's been snow for a few weeks? Mm-hmm. And it's just slush yeah. and it's kind of brown mm-hmm. and ugly. Mm-hmm. Like if we're talking about a field or a, a, the woods, yeah. snow's awesome. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. If I'm talking about a drive I have to make and get somewhere on time it's a mess. Yeah. <laughs> without, without, you know, being too scared about the pace I can carry or whatever yeah. and or 
trudging to the grocery store to grab, you know, a carton of milk or whatever in, in when it's windy and really slushy, <laughs> they can kind of keep all that as far as I'm concerned. You yeah. know, I, I think I, I, I do really like seasons and I think you kind of have a choice of either live somewhere like Southern California or whatever, um, where you, you kind of only get one, maybe one and a half seasons, mm-hmm. you know, and Vancouver was nice as long as you didn't mind most of the season being rainy, <laughs> yeah. uh, just the temperature would change, but everything else was kind of the same. Yeah. And and I I definitely miss that outlook on winter. You'd see snow for a week, maybe. This year, maybe they won't see any at all. Who knows? But around here, the the gnarly stuff, just like I assume in Minneapolis, is like January, February. Yeah, that's yeah. when it's it's like too cold to to want to do anything, <laughs> <laughs> except except go outside and really know that you're going to be able to get your heart rate up, like yeah. shoveling snow or cross country skiing or hiking or whatever. Yeah. But the idea of doing something casual when it's negative twenty Celsius an effort. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Layers upon layers of clothing. Yeah. yeah it takes, it takes five minutes just to get ready to go outside. Well, you know, Gashani was able to get away. Um, we had a pretty bitterly cold week last week and, and she went on a trip to, uh, to the East coast, uh, down, uh, Island off the coast of Georgia with a good friend of hers last week. And so I was, I was a bachelor for the week and, you know, sort of just rattled around the house, uh, you know, grumpy and drinking too much whiskey and tinkering <laughs> on the, on the defender. Um, but I did manage to uh, to watch uh, a movie that came up in our last film club. I, I know you watched it recently as well, and that is Sorcerer. Mm-hmm. That was one that your brother oh, recommended. You know, I kind of figured this is this is like a Bachelor Week movie. It's perfect. You know, it's Roy Scheider. It's kind of grim. It's it's kind of an adventure-y kind of movie. And boy, did it deliver! I mean, what a yeah, freaking what a goes superb hard. Superb movie. You know, I, I don't want to summarize the movie or, or go into too much detail because we talked about it a lot during the film club. So you should go back and listen to that if, you, if you're if you not familiar with this movie. But Roy Scheider's great, classic 70s film. To me, it just felt so, I don't know, realistic. It felt like the first half of the movie was like documentary. I mean, it just yep. it was just, um, I don't know. I, I loved it. It was it was superb. It, it really lived up to Tim's, uh, Tim's uh, praise. And I, I was just so glad to see it. And it kind yeah, of got me through the week. Yeah. Yeah. It's on my list for a rewatch uh, over the holidays for sure. I just, I, I thought it was incredible. And there's something very specific about, and this is, I think, my favorite thing about movies. Maybe it's my favorite thing about things in general, the specificity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's why I like Heat so much, is why I like Michael Mann movies. Like he's just, a, he's a detail, like insane person. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and with Friedkin, it, there's such a specificity to the way that he makes a movie, whether it's uh, a sorcerer, which is now my favorite of his, or, or The Exorcist or the French connection, like they, they have this um, almost oppressive realism to them, mm-hmm. but it's yeah. so stylized at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. The, the scene where they're building the trucks. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which is almost just like a, it, in, in a different movie, it would be like a montage with, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the mash theme playing over the background or something like that. <laughs> but this feels so like ominous and kind of heavy, but, but also like functional, like this is, they had to put these trucks together in the middle of the night with like, old pieces of equipment that were lying around. They had needed two running trucks. Yeah. If you haven't seen Sorcerer, go, go out of your way, yeah, go out of your yeah, way to see it. Yeah. I agree. Um, it's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's especially scary. It's tense. It's super tense, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't call it like scary. It's not a horror movie. It's no. not the exorcist. No. And then, you know, there's, there's, there's some really fun stuff. Once you've watched it to go back and read about how they filmed it and, and what the actors were actually doing versus how they might do that movie today in yeah. a much safer way. Yeah. It really is a remarkable thing. So I'm, I'm glad you saw it. Uh, you know, it has one of my favorite, like, final images. Mm. 
Yeah. If if you and not one I'm going to give away either, but there's a few movies that have these incredible final images for me. Like a, a, <laughs> it'll be a, a a long frame towards the end of the movie. You know, No Country does this. There will be blood. Has a really incredible sort of scene that you could almost uh, take a photo of and, and hang on your wall if it wasn't incredibly grim, which it would be. Yeah. And and I think they do this really well in this movie too. There's there's it's just burned into my memory. So yeah, yeah. definitely uh, two big votes for Sorcerer. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. You know, the other one that I watched and then I watched it again the next night uh, because um, my eldest daughter, my wife and I watched it to make sure that there wasn't anything too adult, bad language, like really bad language or anything like that. Yeah. But we watched The Rescue. Yeah. Yeah. And this, so this is um, this is Jimmy and Elizabeth's uh, new movie. Uh, you know, same same people that brought us free solo, basically. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's the best documentary I've ever watched. Yeah. I like mean, it's, I, it's jaw dro- it's jaw dropping. Yeah. Yeah. I, we watched it too um, the week before Gashani left. Right, in fact, it was the first night it was available on streaming on Nat Geo, and it was, uh, yeah, blew me away too. I mean, just just tremendous. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're such great filmmakers, and then and then I was, you know, I was so familiar with the story and a lot of the players in it, but but to see it kind of end to end with all of that actual footage um, that, mm-hmm. that they got and combed through was was just incredible. So good. Yeah, and I think it's it's nice because if if you want to show if you've got kids and you want to show them something that's like right on the edge of a performance sport, I think this is a little bit more. This feels so much more dangerous than showing them fourteen peaks. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. There's so much. This movie is just fraught with danger and concern and risks and groups of people that don't really know how to deal with each other. Yeah militaries governments you know private contractors hobby scuba divers that are the, you know the the michael jordans of their entire sport but it's not really a sport because it's that dangerous yeah. it's this weird like pseudo passion vocation almost uh i i couldn't yeah i couldn't uh recommend this enough it's on disney plus or nat geo uh, i got a disney plus subscription just to watch this mm-hmm. and goodness sakes yeah it's amazing yeah, yeah. and and while you're there, well, if, if you're going to get that subscription, you might as well watch uh, Becoming Cousteau as well, which is tremendous. It's on. Yeah, so I saved that to my list. We got an email from a listener. I apologize. I didn't pull your name in advance. I forgot. But uh, we got an email from from a listener saying it was pretty yeah. good, uh, worth a yeah. watch. So that that's certainly on the list. And you know, my, my kids might enjoy that one, too. I'm, it might not have the same, the same pace or weight <laughs> of, uh, of the rescue. Right. Uh, really, yeah. Uh, yeah. Incredible work by that team. And uh, always exciting to see that movie finally come to life. You know, it's my understanding that, uh, again, we're speaking of the rescue here. It's my understanding that they were mostly done the movie. Mm-hmm. I could have this quite a little bit off, but it's my understanding they were mostly done the film and were screening it. And then somebody from... A military body like a the Thai military body uh decided that it, they were doing the job well and then they provided them with like a hundred or two hundred hours of more tape. Oh wow. So they kind of had to go back to the uh back to the drawing board. That that might just be wives' tale. I, I genuinely don't know. Mm-hmm. Um but that that's what I had heard and read uh when I was kind of getting hyped to to see the movie in the first yeah. place. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was amazing. It's up there with, you know, I've got this like loosely you know kind of short 10 10 movie list of of great kind of documentaries that i watch over and over again and that's that's definitely on it up where they're with uh like last breath and touching the void and some oh some yeah stuff. yeah yeah blue water white death yep yep yeah really good stuff that's another another one i need to rewatch this uh <laughs> this break it'll be that's uh, a good yeah, one yeah yeah there's also something about uh like a, a, a vintagey documentary and it could be alone in the wilderness it could be 
uh, Blue Water White Death uh, that just kind of suits like a Saturday morning. Mm, yeah, it, it it has this kind of like it's not that they're sleepy, but they're typically just paced a little bit less intensely than a modern duck right, would be. Right. And uh, but to to the point you made on a, you know a couple shows ago, this has been an incredible little run for like TGN style documentaries with the rescue with Fourteen Peaks and with the Alpinist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would be very surprised at this point if if they didn't win an Oscar for the rescue. Mm-hmm. And and I hope that that could just kind of continue this pace of us seeing movies of this caliber of people being rewarded for it because you know making a movie is always going to be a financial consideration. Yeah, and hopefully. We, the the lid can kind of be blown off of this concept and, and we get a bunch more of these in the next few years. It'd be incredible. You know, hopefully we don't have scenarios like what happened to that soccer team in the caves. Right. Preferably that never happens again to anyone, but it did, it did end up with in a, in a pretty fantastic story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah amazing. And, and it was uh it was, it was a timely kind of film to come out. We were, we were just talking about cave diving with, uh, with Becky shot, uh, I think, you know, mm-hmm. a couple episodes ago and um, she knew a few of the folks from, from the movie and um, yeah i mean it's a pretty small community i guess uh, extreme cave diving absolutely so yeah any kind of new watch stuff in the last little while uh it's funny you should mention that um i uh i did pick up a new watch and this was a almost a, an impulse buy of a byproduct of bachelor week yet again you know sort of bored around the house kind of surfing the web chatting with <laughs> with local friends there's a there's a guy um locally david who started up a, a business uh, selling pre-owned watches. He used to work for one of the big uh, retailers here in town that that changed hands and he kind of went off on his own. And I visited his website every now and then and I came across this uh, watch that was, it's kind of a grail of mine that I didn't realize was a grail. I, I, I have a real uh, love for regatta uh, timers on watches. And I used to own an old Aquastar, which I sold basically because I like, uh, I like lumen water resistance more and more these days on my watches. And so um, that wasn't cutting it in that respect. And he had a Seamaster Racing. So this is a an Omega from early to mid-2000s, around between 2006-2010 time frame. And uh, I had a few watches that I wasn't wearing. Um, and he he took them in on trade, and, and we were kind of working out a deal. And he said, you know, it kind of came to an even trade. And I walked away with this beautiful watch on bracelet. It's a, it's, it's a chunk. I mean, it's 44 millimeters by like 16 tall, but, uh, you know, I'm used to that with a lot of the watches I wear, but it's just, it's just a beautiful watch. It's a, yeah, it's really cool. Obviously a dive chronograph, 300 meter water resistant with a 12 hour chronograph function, but then it has, um, it has the regatta countdown function. So it's got the little five apertures in the dial that switch from blue to red and then back to black as, uh, as each minute passes to count down to the start of a sailing race. And uh, to me, it's just, I mean, I've kind of worn it nonstop since I got it and, and I'm just thrilled with it. I'm, I'm a, I'm a big lover of, of the Seamaster family in general. Mm-hmm. That's a great generation too. Yeah, it is. That's from the same era as the 2254 and the uh, 2234, the GMTs that, that I, I still have my eye on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they have a, they have this kind of a little bit of weirdness to mm-hmm. them, but they don't lack any of the slickness that you would want from an Omega. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just a cool era for yeah. sure. So I'm, I'm, yeah, c- congrats I'm on thrilled that with that. It kind of, uh, kind of dropped out of, out of blue sky here and, and, uh, yeah, I love it. So yeah, that's, Very uh, cool. that's what's new on my wrist. And, uh, the, I guess the, that kind of, uh, that kind of, uh, previews the, the wrist check, which we'll get to in a little bit here. But, uh, what about you? Anything, anything new on the watch side? Uh, nothing in terms of in hand, you know, I, I want to give a shout out to the guys from the OT podcast, Felix and Andy, they did, uh, collaboration with Anne Ordain 
Yeah. The Model 2 OT pink and Model 2 OT white. Mm -hmm. And they sent an email the day it launched to me just saying like, hey, just a heads up. And, and, you know, they're proud of it. And I think they should be. They're both really cool looking watches. Yeah. Yeah. And then I went, you know, today to grab the links and they're both sold out. So, I mean, congratulations, (laughs) guys. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Not the easiest season to sell out a watch. I mean, it makes sense to sell a watch this time of year, but you're really close to Christmas at this point. Right. And, uh, and, and yeah, I, I, I both good looking watches from a brand that, that really seems to be firing on all cylinders these days. Yeah. Uh, and ordained. So yeah. really cool stuff there. And then, uh, literally just before we started recording, I got an email back from, um, the, my, my friends at Doxa and they're going to send a 600 T, uh, possibly two. Um, so if you're waiting on a review, I'm going to do my very best to make that early January. Oh, cool. It depends on what happens with, uh, some podcast timing and that, but I, I think it should be possible. So that one I'm really excited about. Just, you know, stay tuned to Instagram even. I'll, I'll put a photo up when they actually arrive, uh, assuming it is uh, in this year and not next. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think that's probably uh, probably the the bulk of it. You know, the other thing to bring up with it being the last episode of the year is uh, is our Substack supporter launch has just gone so much better than we expected. Yeah. And we said this on the last episode and then we were kind of again surprised. Mm-hmm. We got this big wave on, on the heels of the last episode. So if you're keen on supporting the show, and this isn't like a pressure tactic, we're just going to mention it every show in, in kind of a light way. If you happen to be keen on supporting the show, we still have 20 and 22 millimeter straps. We actually have to order more 20s. You guys have been so uh, so dialed in on it. It's amazing. The bundles are available and they're still shipping very quickly thanks to Jason's daily effort. Uh, he must be making some good friends at FedEx these days. <laughs> I better get a Christmas be waiting card. for yeah, you. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, we've got uh, basically, I'm going to call it three levels. The level you're on currently, if you're not a supporter, that doesn't have to change. We, we're so thrilled that you're listening. Uh, we appreciate it every time. Uh, maybe leave a comment, sign up for Substack and say hi, tell a friend. That'd be rad. If you want to support the show directly, you have kind of two options. It's $5 a month, which will include starting uh, next year, a fifth episode a month, which will be the Q&A. This is also going to help so we don't have the weird delay. Like we just had to catch up on kind of two weeks of stuff. Because we don't do chit chat on Q and A episodes, we'd kind of devote all that time to the to the calls. Uh, so that that should also help with that issue. Uh, but if you want five episodes, including the Q and A and the ability to send in Q and A questions and, and get a reply from Jason and I, that's five dollars a month. Or you can go to a hundred dollars a year, which includes everything you get in the five dollar a month one, uh, along with um, your choice of a twenty or twenty two millimeter Uta Gray NATO with a signed TGM buckle and a uh, a big logo. Uh, sticker decal uh, as you please. Uh, so those are shipping daily uh, and probably will until pretty close to the holiday. Yeah, uh, I would assume we've probably got it. You've got the better part of a, another week before we shut down and, and pick it up again uh, when uh, the, you know the the rest period is over. So if you're interested, you can uh, sign up on Substack and then you'll get an email from uh, Jason and I with a link to pick your size and give us your address and send it to us. And of course, if you have absolutely any issues. Uh, we're both, you know, very qualified customer service professionals at this point. So just send us an email at thegraynado at gmail.com. We respond immediately to these issues. These aren't ones that we sit and wait until like a lot of times I batch reply to the the nice messages and the shares of links and movies and things like that. I'll, we I do get to those, but um, I check it hourly. And, uh, and if there's anything in there, we'll get it sorted out as soon as possible. So let us know if you'd like to be a supporter. And uh, if not, regardless, uh, on either side of that fence, we just really appreciate everyone listening this year. It's been an incredible year for the show. And, and I hope for uh, for those listening. And we kind of, you definitely couldn't do it without all you. So thank you very much uh, 
from the bottom of my heart and I'm sure Jason's as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I'm, we're, we're both so appreciative and, and it's been fun to see where all the orders are coming in from. I mean, we've had, uh, everywhere from <laughs> gosh, Russia and Singapore and, uh, mm-hmm. I, I got one from Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan the other day. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. All over Shout Europe and Japan. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, so the supporter kits are going all over the place. And uh, as James mentioned, we're, we're running quite low on the, on the 20 millimeter straps. Uh, we do have another batch on order. I'm not sure when those will come, but if you do place an order after we've kind of gone through our current run, there might be a bit of a delay until we get more in stock and then we'll crank up the, the shipments uh, at that point. But uh Never fear, we'll we'll get you your supporter kit uh, no matter when you sign up. Mm-hmm. But uh, again, we 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 thank you for for making this last month of the year just so rewarding for us. Yeah, no, it's been great. How about a wrist check, and then we can get into uh, our chat with Henry. Yeah, let's do it. So I'm I'm wearing uh, the the Seamaster Racing I just discussed. I, I had a different watch on when we actually did the uh, the chat with Henry. So I think I might have mentioned it while we were talking to him. But today I've got this uh, this lovely Omega on, and uh, I'm thrilled with it. What about you? I'm wearing, uh, as, I, as I like to do in early December, uh, this is a watch that makes me think of early December, I'm wearing my Halio Seaforth Roldorf LE. It was a gift from, uh, from Jason at Halios and Jason at Roldorf, <laughs> uh, two good pals, and, uh, and for when I left Vancouver back uh, several years ago in early December. And uh, yeah, it's, it's something that I always like to wear this time of year. I currently have it on a black mesh, which is kind of perfect. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I really like the combo. It's still kind of tulish, but it... it it really completes like if you have the black for me, I don't, I've never been like a huge fan of the black watches. Sometimes they're amazing. Sometimes they're fine. Like I like a few of them, but it's never like been my main taste in a mm-hmm. watch. Um, and, and to have it on the the bracelet really kind of completes the feel, especially with that combo kind of British E racing green and cream tuxedo yeah. dial. I love yeah, this watch. Yeah. It would be one, you know, one of those ones I have no interest in ever getting rid of. I already have. Uh, last year, we we auctioned off a, a Halios that I love and miss quite a bit for for a great cause, uh, and I, this is this is one that I I now pick up to kind of fill that one that uh, the pastels role. So yeah, and it has that sort of evergreen look to it that's kind of uh, very fitting for this time of year as well. For sure, yeah. All right. Well, I say it's time to to jump into the main event here, our chat with Henry Catchpole. Yeah, and we're going to jump right into the recording. But if you don't know who Henry Catchpole is, he's uh, one of our favorite automotive journalists. He's a video presence on Carfection, which used to be called X-Car, if you've been around the game long enough. Uh, he came up via Evo, uh, a fantastic UK-based uh, automotive publication, one of my favorites. And he also does some work with the Intercooler. Uh, which is a, a really fantastic sort of paid app about car, uh, all about car journalism, and they have a great podcast as well. If you don't know the Intercooler, check the show notes; they're rad. Henry's an absolute gem. We can't thank him enough for being on the show. And if you want to follow him, if you want to see some of our favorite stuff that he's done, it'll all be in the show notes. Uh, so notes.thegrenado.com. And otherwise, just sit back and uh, let's welcome Henry to the show. All right, Henry. It's a real treat to be able to say this, but uh, welcome to the show, man. This is uh, this is fun. I'm I'm pumped for this. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm delighted to be on the show. It's a show I've listened to a lot. You've you've, you've accompanied me on many um, journeys across uh, various continents. So it's uh, yeah, it's lovely to be on the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, yeah, this is. Uh, it feels like this is a long time coming. We've been talking about um, your work, whether it be with um, Evo or Drive Tribe or uh, you know Carfection, and b- before that, uh, X Car. I've been a, a long time fan of uh, of the channel. Really great stuff. Um, you know, I think it's easy to say that for Jason and I, you're one of our favorite like automotive personalities. And it's because you kind of bring a flavor that's different than everyone else's. 
so much of the so much of the the speed, especially when you get to video, is kind of the same tonality to it, and and it's not always accessible. And when it is accessible, it's kind of maybe what's the right word, Jason? Too boisterous. Yes, I would. I would say. You know, I like. Yeah. I, I might be a much bigger fan of old Top Gear than than Jason because I think that the, some of the yelling was maybe too too much for Jason. <laughs> and we we like your approach. You know, last night in, in getting ready for this, I rewatched your nine eleven uh, Carrera four GTS. You compared it to War and Peace, the <laughs> the text on the back of the car, which I thought was great. And yeah, that tone is lovely. You know, you're talking about the fall and and all of this, and you know that I think it's an interesting thing how far car journalism car media i guess is an easier easier term for it has come in the last few years uh you know i'm i'm thrilled to say that we now have some like solid canadian representation with guys like uh, the straight pipes and throttle house but but i think it's undeniable to say that the core of this media seems to come from the uk personality or has kind of since the dawn of youtube i remember the first top gear i saw was the you know the murcielago versus the the evo 9 i guess at the time and and that was one of the first times I really connected with YouTube. What, what what do you think it is about the 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 Brit personality and kind of the the the, the taste for for the automotive? Um, it's it's difficult, isn't it? I suppose we're lucky because we sort of because we sit sort of geographically, I suppose, somewhere in the middle, and we tend to get everything. And we have you know, obviously a great car culture here. Um, the the sort of as you mentioned there, the the rise of of YouTube um, is something I still find. Um, I find it bizarre that I'm I'm on YouTube and doing <laughs> this job because I feel like I must have been one of the last people to get into motoring journalism purely to write because I I want my dream was to join Evo magazine as uh, well staff writer was the sort of the lowest rung on that ladder so that's what I was um, shooting for and yeah when I when I started there and you know the dream came true it it was just the magazine it was all about writing for that there was there was a website somewhere. But I don't think we really did a great deal with it <laughs> yeah. at the time. There certainly wasn't YouTube, and you know the idea of appearing on camera was it was anathema because there was, as you say, Top Gear, which obviously I I watched, and you know I love watching you know Tiff and and all of them sort of um, driving the cars. But that was something completely different. It just there, there was no connection between the two, and it took you know quite a while sort of before it started encroaching on on the magazine life and i i resisted it certainly initially because uh, like most people it's sort of well, it's, well you know you guys know sort of the first time you um you hear your own voice even let alone see yourself on oh, screen yeah. it's it's pretty uncomfortable um and somebody made the point the other day that i think the reason i've only i've been able to continue doing it because you get used to editing yourself and sort of almost seeing yourself as a completely different person on screen it's um and you get used to the sound of your own voice so i think now i i i know what i sound like so it doesn't feel weird as such editing and i just assume i'm still speaking to my mother and that's, that's it. So, yeah, there's nobody else out there it's fine her and a couple of people sort of loyal fans and um and that's that's it i'm, so, I'm glad that you yeah. have a, a mom contingent as well i, I think our, our core audience <laughs> is made up of our mothers as well <laughs> Yeah, uh, you, you know, I'm I'm curious. You had mentioned the dream get, being to get to Evo, and from from my perspective, you know, growing up in Canada, we had Road and Track, we had Car and Driver. These are the stuff that you know the, the first magazines I bought uh, and and was given as as a very young kid, uh, right as I was learning to read. And Evo became this kind of like halo thing where the the photography was distinctive and the the graphic design was like you could call you could see Evo from across a, a grocery store 
on the stand if you were lucky to be at a grocery store that had it. And I, I think that's a fascinating uh, uh, place to start. Like, was that really your first start in sharing your perspective about cars or did you have to build up to get to Evo? So I... I mean, I'd always loved cars from from the you know, year that my parents loved cars. They met through the MG Car Club oh, really? um, back in the day and stuff like that. So I was all, I was brought up around cars. I went to the Goodwood Festival of Speed, I think, sort of um, very early on. I think it was the second year of that running. But we used to go down to Goodwood before the circuit was ever um, sort of revamped and all that sort of thing. So I, ha- I had a, a, a love of, of cars. I didn't sort of, I wasn't pushing a cart at the age of three or anything like that. So I was never going to become, going to become a racing driver. But uh, I let's say remember watching Top Gear, watching um, you know Formula One and rallying and stuff like that. And I used to collect model Ferraris actually. That was quite a sort of I still um, have them all in a box up in the loft. Um dug them out the other day. Uh, so yeah, I had this sort of background in, in loving cars, but I the idea of actually doing it for a job, I couldn't work out how that would ever become a thing. Um I suppose I thought I'd go off and become a lawyer or something like that or whatever you you do for a, a, a proper job. But I remember being at school and the first issue of Evo coming out and my, my best friend at school, Bruce, um, his, he bought a copy of it in and I pinched it and had a read of it. And it just spoke to me in a way that um, I think sort of like, you know, I had issues of Top Gear and, and car magazine and stuff like that. But but Evo, as you say, it was something different. There was something about the design and and definitely the writing that just that that spoke to me. That was I thought this is this is absolutely what I want to do. And in your modern context, are you do you operate mostly as a freelancer where you you have the ability to still do stuff with Evo? You obviously do a lot with Carfection. Yeah, so most of my time is taken up with Carfection, apart from purely because it just takes so long doing yep. um, video. So I kind of when I went freelance, I decided that it had to be my main focus. You can't sort of half do that. So, um, but I'm very lucky. I still write the back page for Evo every month. And then um, I write sort of, you know, features here and there. And um, I'm still really involved with it. I'm, the reason I sort of live where I do in the UK is still because it was where Evo you know, was, was based. So I'm, I'm not that far away from the offices and stuff. So I still speak to them lots and get invited along on Car of the Year, which is um, still the, the best test of the year. So it's a, it's always fun to watch and read whatever I can find for the, for car of the year. Uh, for sure. It's, it's always a treat. And, and the Evo has such an incredible staff and kind of basis in, in their creation, the people who kind of brought it to, to bear along your path, the path uh, to Evo and then into say X car, Carfection, et cetera. Did you have any heroes or kind of core mentors that kind of brought you along? And, uh, and cause it, it's not a job that's very transparent. Uh, I can even even just like the watch writing thing is not a job that's transparent. <laughs> Someone has to kind of ingratiate themselves and bring you into the fold and explain some of the the background. So I think uh, so. The, the way I sort of got into the the job was um, a lot of I suppose luck, perseverance, and that sort of thing. I remember entering. There used to be um, so the Daily Telegraph over here uh, ran a as a newspaper ran a, a young motoring writers competition. So I entered that. Um, and I think probably because only 10 people entered it, they sort of gave us all the highly commended. And then I rinsed that for all it was worth, basically, when writing to people trying to get work experience. And um, I also used to, coming back to the Goodwood Festival of Speed, I say this is a big um, car festival to people that don't know in um, a stately home in the south of England. And at quite a young age, I worked out that they had the supercar run that went up and all these supercars were going up and there was a, a passenger seat that was empty in the, um, in most of them. Some of them had a passenger, some of them didn't. So, well, why can't I be a passenger in some of those supercars? <laughs> so 
I wasn't a particularly sort of precocious child. I wasn't that bold, but for some reason around cars, I made it my mission. So first year, tried to do it and uh, the chap goes, oh, yeah, fine, absolutely. Have you got a helmet? No, didn't have a helmet. Next year, came back. My father used to um, ride a Honda Cub, so I borrowed his crash helmet, which was much too big for me, really. And um, so I had the helmet, and the chap said, great, excellent. Have you signed on? No. Following year, came back, managed to sign on, get in the driver's club, had a helmet, everything like that. And uh, I went up the hill with uh, Jem Marsh and Marcos. And from there on, it sort of carried on, and I got um, various bits of work experience, generally because you ended up in a car with somebody quite often interesting, um, and you had you know them to yourself for about sort of a couple of hours and i met harry metcalf that way um i just happened to manage to convince him to let me sit in a 911 turbo at the time met him wrote to him afterwards managed to get work experience um he actually ignored me the first time um so it took a year to do that but uh, they they caved in gave me a week's work experience and i did the same uh at autocar as well the year after um so that sort of was the foot in the door i suppose that's lovely. Yeah, that I guess that makes sense. That's, that's typically how it works. You find you find a crack in the seam, and and you just keep kind of pushing at it. I've had the chance to uh, to meet um, Harry a couple of times. Uh, a lovely guy. Uh, exactly what you'd expect from the videos and and his background in cars and stuff like that. He's uh, we crossed paths at Quail a few years back, and he he gave me a good lesson yeah. on uh, uh, an old, some old Lamborghini uh, in a, in a color that apparently it wasn't supposed to be. He's a he's a, a wealth of knowledge, a, a, a real treat for sure. Covering things like supercars, and this was my experience in my brief tenure in the car world, is you you typically have to cover the cars that people want to read about or, or watch you drive, supercars, luxury vehicles, things like that. And, and that's a lot of fun, but it's not always the what you might put in your own driveway if you had, uh, if you had the chance. Covering things like the supercars, the really high-performance stuff, do you ever feel the need to have something like that in your driveway or is that itch covered by the loner cars and you've got something else in, in kind of the personal uh, garage? Um, I think it's, it's strange how it changes over the years. Cause you, we all sort of grow up dreaming of whatever it is that sort of is out there. And then the more you get to drive, the pickier you get um, because you realize the things that you really value in a car. Um, and it doesn't mean you can't review cars that you wouldn't necessarily want in your oh, garage yeah, sure. at all. Obviously, you know, you can be, you know, this, you can um, be uh, completely objective about a car and I can give a car five stars without ever thinking I'd want to own it because I understand why they've done it and why it's good and um, all those sorts of things. But um, yeah, I, I think having the driven a lot of stuff, particularly the sort of the, the really quick stuff, I don't generally long to own i always thought when there was the the, the hybrid hypercars that um, trinity of la ferrari p1 and 918 and i always thought they're, they're amazing things and you, you respect the technology in them um and of course they're you know huge thrill to drive but actually given the choice i'd have had the sort of the ones that were about the fifth of the price sort of underneath them so you'd have the 458 speciale instead of the um, La Ferrari, or you'd have um, you know 911 GT3 RS instead of 918, and and so on and so forth. So um, yeah, that sort of for me is the sort of I suppose the upper um, ceiling. Um, and yeah, I mean day to day, I drive around in a a, a Clio Renault Clio 182. Oh okay, um, which is um, yeah. And then you uh, have uh, so- you have that lovely uh, 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 Escort rally car as well. Is that up and running these days? Yeah. 
And now, now it's it's still in in various pieces all over the place. And I think if I didn't do the job I did, that I do, the, I think I'd have more impetus to get it up and running. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it, one of these days, it will. I mean, it's it's the it's become a, a long-standing joke these days. But um, it is at the moment the head is off being um, done, the body is somewhere else, and at some point everything will come back together and it will be wonderful, and I shall go and go sideways in the forest again. <laughs> do you have a do you have a deep preference between tarmac, gravel, dirt? Like, do you have an absolute favorite? If you if you were now if if I said, look, you're independently wealthy now, you get to drive wherever you want, whatever you want. Would it be rally oh. most of the time, or do you like the the variety? Uh, it would definitely be rally. Rallying is my absolute passion. I was lucky enough to do a few races when I was um, first at Evo. I wasn't particularly good. I don't think I have that discipline to set sort of metronomic lap times and really sort of nibble away at the sort of the final little bit of um, time. It might be different now. I like the idea of endurance racing, but um, but yeah, it just I, I could could set a quick enough lap time for road testing. Um, that was fine, but. Um, there was something about rallying that just, yeah, it's such an adventure as well. Yeah. And you, you know, you're spending the whole day out somewhere in the forest and there is nothing quite as thrilling as driving properly to pace notes. Um, I loved it on the, on the closed road rallies, which are really pretty rare these days, things like Isle of Man or the Jim Clark up in the Scottish borders and just have the co-driver next to you say that the next corner's you know, six right and you're approaching it and it looks for all the world as though you're going to have to sort of slow down to, you know, second gear or something like that. But you know that your pace notes are right and you just keep the throttle buried and and turn in and then the road opens (laughs) up in front of you. And it is just the biggest thrill. Um, It's, it's um, on a tiny little road that um, normally you'd be going down at sort of, you know, 20 miles an hour or whatever. So uh, yeah, it's just, that is, there's nothing, nothing quite like rallying for, for me yeah I, i've never had the experience of doing the pace notes obviously that i think that would be well beyond any skill set i could hope for in this life um but i have had a chance to do some some snow rally uh stuff mm. on on you know like porsche experience courses things like that they do a pretty crazy one in quebec uh, not too far from me all oh, things wow. considered yeah. and uh i did get to do that and it, it really is a wild thing once you find some comfort so you're not worrying about the front end grips especially in in a car like a 911 and uh and you can start to really find some playfulness and you're not you don't you're not fully concerned about hitting either side uh as much as you might be uh normally exactly and that's the thing i think people say sort of you know you're not worried about the sort of you know falling off the cliff over there or running into the forest and that and you just you get to that point where you're not if you're thinking like that then then it's 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 pointless you just you're just not thinking about that sort of thing you're you're at one with the car as i say or hopefully anyway not always sometimes you're just ridiculously scared i certainly was so with dirt being your favorite, I'm curious, you know, looking back, I, I don't, I can't say that I've probably watched all the videos you've put online, but I've definitely watched a good portion of them. And I'm curious if there's a favorite like genre, a slice within the slice of like Henry Catchpole videos. <laughs> with Drive Tribe, you used to do the like best driving roads uh, uh, videos. And, and there was a great one, the one last pass in the Audi R8 Spider. <laughs> uh, which was um, Hawk and Yawk, I think, if I'm saying that correctly. Um, my pronunciation yeah, of everything right. is always yeah, a problem. <laughs> but that video I've watched several times because it has such a, it's this specific thing and it has this personal quality to it. And and I think that video kind of ca- captured that really well. Do, do you have one of these genres that kind of stands out or like I said, like a slice? Yes. I mean, I think you've, you've highlighted the ones that certainly um, I'm, yeah, I enjoy doing most, I think, over time, because as you say, it's the, the car and the place. 
that's when it gets really special um and so we did a, f- a few of them over the years and i suppose uh, sam riley who i worked with at evo and in fact um, i worked with again on that um, 9-11 gts film that's just gone up that you mentioned um and it's still nice working together because you've kind of um, been doing it so long now but um we did uh the porsche porsche boxster uh, GTS on Mallorca that was another good one and that was again sort of bringing these roads to people that they they, they might not have known about uh, and Aston Martin up in Scotland those sort of ones so yes the, the great driving roads and you find finding the right car for the right road and bringing it all together that's um, immensely satisfying and um, yeah that the one you mentioned actually the the one last pass uh, that was with with Sam and the ID R8 Spider, and there was a certain amount of the way that film turned out wasn't necessarily how we had expected, <laughs> because uh, we we had one of the best days filming I, I think ever. We we there were no other cars there. It was just me and Sam, and it was the time when drones didn't fold up ridiculously small. So he had the drone on his lap, and we drove all the way out there, and um, had a great day's filming. Just you know perfect skies lovely weather the pass was open it was just this is fantastic and at the end of the first day he got his camera nicked um oh no which was not great it was sort of or somebody picked it up somebody saw it at the side of the road it wasn't entirely kind of it, it, anyway we lost pretty much all the footage and we carried on filming it was you know police and all sorts of things so the only thing we could do was um we still had the drone um so that hence why there is an awful lot of drone footage in that and why <laughs> why i don't i think i deliver one line to camera we eventually got the footage back um thankfully um but i only deliver one line to camera in that because we couldn't do any of that because we were going to do it on the second day and then we hadn't have the facility to do it so the whole thing i was like right it's fine we can do the whole thing will be in voiceover i'll write it all afterwards that'll be fine so that's that's the reason (laughs) that film is the way it is (laughs) yeah it has that internal quality uh that that you get from the from the voiceover for sure yeah (laughs) so i've got a long and sordid history of of interesting cars but currently i've got two old land rovers i've got a series three and a defender and um so i'm kind of in that world these days and uh, it was with great interest that I watched your review of the latest Defender in Namibia, which looked like quite the adventure itself. Um, and, you know, in the Land Rover community, uh, there's lines have been drawn. You know, people, the old school guys, me included, are kind of, you know, we sort of shake our heads at the at the new Defender. Um, and I think you were, I don't know if it was diplomatic or, or you know, tactful or whatever in, in your discussion or comparison of the two. And, and you've had a chance to look at the new Ineos Grenadier as well. I'm curious, like, what, what's your take on not just the Defender, but kind of the move forward in increasing technology in cars versus something like your old Escort rally car? You know, some, even moving from petrol or diesel vehicles into EV, like, are you feeling a sense of loss or like things are getting too soft as we're moving forward? Is it less fun? uh yes i mean is the short answer it's it's um there's a reason that i think we've seen the rise of the 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 resto mods as it were so these these cars that are updated things um people like um, singer and alphaholics um doing fantastic cars that that have that interaction and, and i mean you you get it it's it's kind of the same with with watches isn't it you know there's a fascination with the, the mechanical if it was just all about telling the time uh, then you know there are things that do it incredibly well but don't give us the give us the feels as it were um i think with defender it's it's interesting i was certainly skeptical as well there's a 
there's an interesting thing with that in terms of it it took them so long to replace the old defender that i mean i think there was something like seven attempts to actually replace it over the years and then finally they got it out with this one and you you sort of always have to imagine that they it had been incremental and then it wouldn't have been such a a shock to have come to the the new one um i think i likened it to you know, frank stephenson when he designed the new mini went back and actually designed the interim cars between the the original and and this one and imagined that there's sort of how it would have progressed up to that point and then it would have been less of a shock and i don't think there would have been sort of so much sort of kickback against it to that extent but but yes i mean fundamentally we cars are easier to drive today they're not as interactive they cocoon us more and that's a lot of the time not as fun really when it's the sort of um when you're looking at the the thrill of driving you know the engines are turbocharged which but not in the sort of the the incredibly exciting way that an f40 say is turbocharged we've got huge amounts of um boost coming in quite suddenly you know they're much more linear but they've lost some of the sound of a naturally aspirated engine manual gearboxes which i i love they're going by the wayside now yeah, I've got some manual gearbox questions in our notes here for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's 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 um, and then there's electric cars, which is a whole other thing. And I'm, I think we're all trying to get our heads around um, quite how they're going to fit into um, life, and 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 we're going to get enthusiastic about them. I hope we can do, but um, it's looking a bit, a little bit bleak at the moment um, from that from a purely enjoyable driving aspect. Yeah. I think, you know, going back to James's kind of first point about, you know, my, he was kind of joking about my tastes in, uh, in automotive content and how, um, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm picky because, and the re- reason I like your, your work is, um, and it happens in the watch world as well to a lesser degree, but there's this sense of you're, you're reading or consuming content about a vehicle of some sort, but so often it becomes about the person reviewing and, and, you know, you could say that about anything, just talk radio or anything like this, but I prefer when, when there's a balance, you know, you want the person's input and opinion and and their personal take on it, but really you're watching it because you want to learn more about the vehicle. And I think you do that really well, but then there's also this, this world we live in where you're provided a, a press trip to Namibia to review the new defender or someplace with a vehicle. And, um, there's a, a line you have to walk between, you know, being outright critical of something you, you really don't like at all versus, um, you know, towing the line a little bit more. Um, do you find that difficult? Is that kind of similar in the automotive world? I haven't done much in that space. So this is something I think is, is certainly cropped up a lot over sort of recent years. I'm very much of the opinion that I am still a journalist um, and therefore I can be critical of cars. I think there's a there's a danger on um, YouTube audiences generally. They don't, don't, they don't like a critical review because a lot of people are tuning in because they've seen that car and they like it. And you have to be careful not to let your own subjective uh, likes and dislikes um, override a review. I, I'm quite careful to sort of, um, and it's it's not fair to tarnish one particular car. If you don't like a whole genre of things, well, that's that's fine. But don't you know, don't bring it to bear purely on on one car because that's not fair either. That's a different sort of subject. Fine, have a go at everything in general if you like, but not sort of don't bring it into one particular review. If you don't like you know, big luxury SUVs, don't just choose the Bentley Bentayga one to um, yeah. rail against. 
I have to, you know, if, if I don't like something, if something's not right, I'm going to have to say it because I have to keep my journalistic integrity there. And, and, um, yeah, that, that's, that's the, the way, the way it is. And, um, we, if a manufacturer doesn't like it, well, I suppose that's something I'll have to deal with down the line, but equally if people respect it then and generally I've found if you're, if I'm criticizing something, the manufacturer knows it. You know, I've spoken to engineers about things, you know, you criticize the, the ride on something, they, they know about it and you talk to them about it and there's a, you know, generally a reason for it. So, um, what's the point in, um, you know, beating about the bush if it's if it's there it's there and you have to say as, yeah. as you find luckily there aren't actually that many bad cars today in terms of sort of i suppose is the other thing we're not we're not looking at cars that are, are dangerous to drive anymore and i'm lucky because i drive mostly the cars at the the top end of the market so you're then kind of splitting hairs really it's it's i mean the the latest ferrari it might be different it might not be exactly what you want but it's still it's not difficult to get excited yeah. about it and be enthusiastic. Um, so I'm lucky to that extent. I think that's so, you know, James and I have to deal with on the watch side. I mean, it's like there really aren't any horrible luxury watches. We might not like it aesthetically, but I mean, <laughs> they're all keeping time well and yeah. they're made to a, such a high standard. So it's, and, and on our side, we, we aren't even having to look at a product that we're viewing um, for, you know, how well it's going to protect your kids in a crash or, or, you know, what you're doing to the environment or things like that. So we, we're a little luckier on that side than, than maybe you are with a vehicle. But uh. I also found, like, like you said, Henry, if, if, you're, if your feedback is accurate, typically the brands are already aware of the shortcoming in a vehicle. And, 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 and it's like, you know, maybe the PR person, the person who's going to take it the most personally because they're kind of an intermediary between the money and the outcome of the vehicle. But the engineers, they'll know if they made the ride. Like if you say that this ride's a little busy over the road, that's a pretty innocuous comment. It could be accurate. The engineers are aware of it because they were told it had to have a good Nuremberg ring time or whatever. In the watch mm-hmm. industry, if I said the equivalent of the watch is kind of busy over the road, I could get a phone call from the CEO of that company as, as though it's <laughs> really? going to change their mind. People take things so personally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this isn't necessarily the venue to tell some of those stories, at least not while these people still hold their <laughs> positions. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, you can, yeah. I've said very, um, simple things, things about like my, literally my subjective opinion and it's labeled as such. And, and it'll be like, well, they won't, they're not interested in talking to you at Basel world this year because of something <laughs> you said a year ago, one sentence in a, in a gl- otherwise glowing review from a year ago. You go, all right, fine. I see how this works. Okay, fine. Uh, it's it's a it's a weird space, but I did find, some, and I think maybe the car industry has has the industry side of the car world has put up with criticism for a lot longer than the watch world has. And I think that in in how insulated the watch thing is, that the the position of any CEO is that they make the best product in the entire world, and there's no accounting for taste. And uh, and I don't think that's necessarily the way the car world uh, operates. I think they've I think they've had to deal with taking blows occasionally, and uh, and and understanding yeah. that that especially when you get into high performance vehicles, uh, top spec models, they typically are a niche avenue of you know if you think of a Golf R versus a base Golf, that's a pretty different vehicle in terms of even a normal person could probably like someone who doesn't care that much about cars could go from one to the other and go like this one kind of hits bumps differently or this one, you know, oh, it's much faster, like like the easy stuff, and and I think it's a little bit different when there's there's fewer like hairs to 
or like lines to draw when like one watch versus another it, it largely does come down to aesthetics yeah i think i think what you were saying before as well about the um uh sort of you know the, the uk market and uk media and you know we 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 stand on the shoulders of the sort of you know the doyens of the um industries and the sort of you think back to car magazine um in the 80s and 90s who you know put a lemon on the front of front cover and were you know they they were not afraid to call out a car and you know the likes of you know jeremy clarkson who you know i rem- always remember the view of i think it was the um uh, voxel vectra where he sort of you know pilloried it on on national television just saying this car is so dull i, I literally don't know what i'm going to say for the next eight <laughs> minutes or whatever so we there as you say there is this tradition whereby the the car media is not afraid to be critical and i think evo i always admired their their rigor in terms of testing cars and i i aspired to that and i was very lucky because i served an apprenticeship there and i didn't want to drive the supercars before i knew i could actually do a proper job of reviewing them so it sort of took a few years before i could actually do that and i think um yeah there's as you say it's changed slightly in recent years because of the you know, influences coming in and things like that that the lines have got blurred but i think we have to um stick to stick to our guns really i think the other thing that weighs into it in some way and i'm interested to see what you think of of what's happening because it's happening in the watch space too is cars have just gotten so expensive yes the lid is absolutely blown off of what what you could imagine the ceiling to be you know even in the last 2 3 years this this concept of like uh whether it's something like um like uh the Aston Victor a one of one car which is i think 4 million pounds and and look this is an aside but it's an aside that i want to make i've drove the dbs on the same roads that you did in in and around austria and the only thing that car needed was a stick and they said they couldn't make one for that motor uh due to the torque curve or something and then of course the victor has more power from a naturally aspirated engine so i guess the torque comes on in a different manner but has a stick. So that's yeah. one footnote I'd like to put out there to Aston. Is, <laughs> I, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not saying they have to only make the DBS with a stick, but that car would have been something else with one. Yes. Yeah, it would be. I think it's, uh, as you say, there's the trouble with the um, uh, matching that twin turbo V12 up to a, um, a, a manual gearbox as opposed to the uh, Victor's um, naturally aspirated engine, which um, um, is probably slightly easier on a, on a transmission. But um, One would yeah, assume, would yeah. Nice if there were more manuals. <laughs> Uh, I also think they're underrating that car in a McLaren-esque fashion. Uh, it didn't. It felt like a lot more than 715 or whatever they say that that motor puts out. But you know, there's uh, it, 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 there's there's a hundred directions we could go with the car thing. Um, but I am curious just to finish the kind of final point on on the how expensive cars have gotten and the auto journalism thing. Is there a side of it that you wish? more people understood whether it's the difficulty of making a video be it stolen cameras or, or the fact that I, i'm blown away when you say that you made a video like that hawking yuck one with just the two of you because my, my experience with video production is there's so many people involved with it that you end up having whether in some scenarios where i'm behind the camera you're in charge of one camera or in, in a scenario where i'm the host that's kind of all you do uh, it sounds like the way you guys kind of balance it allows for a lot more flexibility and kind of personality in the output Yes, I think the. I mean, I've always been um, been very lucky who I've worked with, and we've we've kind of guarded that flexibility that you mentioned. So it generally is just me and um, and a, and a cameraman, um, and it's a lovely way to work because you can be very um, you can adapt very quickly. You can I tend not to script things before I 
go on um, oh really a, a film so i might have a yeah i might have an idea so th- i suppose the the start to the gts thing with with um autumn that sort of thing i'll i'll have an idea beforehand the ending to it came up on the shoot just thought oh that would be really good to um do it that way oh the the day night thing at the end that part yes exactly yeah, that looks um, so cool yeah, yeah that bit <laughs> and we just yeah I, I i never certainly write scripts about the car before i've driven it because well that's i'm not going to prejudge the car you can have an idea about the car but then and if you go there with too many preconceived ideas about a car then you can actually miss out um the the big thing that is you know um that makes it makes it tick as it were so yeah the 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 it would be lovely i think if if somebody sort of said you've got unlimited budget to go and do all things i'd I'd still want to do it with a, a a small crew try and keep that flexibility um in there but just you just give yourself more time to to do things that's all and we're lucky as well because over the years since i started doing this you look back 10 years or whatever and the the ability we now have to capture incredible footage with you know pretty attainable gear really um absolutely you can you can make an amazing thing film just with your phone but sort of you know the drone shots we can get with a tiny thing that you know we can take anywhere is is amazing it used to be sort of you know the preserve of of high-end television with helicopter shots and stuff like that and now we can we can do that and it's 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 wonderful having that ability um to think of creative shots and and knowing that you can achieve an awful lot with um relatively little sort of in um, television terms i suppose looking at your most recent one uh with the porsche that sort of autumn theme um do you, I mean, these are, these are short feature films and you're quoting, you know, sometimes romantic poets and you're waxing philosophical about the change of seasons and things like this. And <laughs> even though you can't write the review before you drive the the car, do you go into a shoot like that with kind of a shot list or, or a sense of like, let's do something around autumn because the colors are nice or, you know, I'm going to wear my bobble hat and whatever. And so we'll talk a little bit about <laughs> the great or, Yeah. Um, you know, do you do you put that kind of thing together roughly before you set off, or does the does the does the mood strike you as you arrive and kind of sit in the car? Because um, they always feel so well put together, but you're so prolific um, with these videos. And it's like, how, how do you come up with this stuff so creatively every every time? I'll try and go into something with an idea. It's it's a lot of the time around location. So I knew that car I was getting, the, the Porsche was going to be yellow and you just, you know, this time of year driving around thinking oh, colors are, you know, have been amazing this year. So it would be nice to do something with that. And then it just, you know, ticks along in the old noggin and you try and think of um, ways to um, bring it in. And then you talk to the videographer and obviously that's where it's crucial that I have a relationship with them and they understand what I'm getting at. And, um, oh no, it's catchpole again and his crazy <laughs> ideas. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I like the feeling that people come out of a video having, I want them to have learned something. They've got to have enjoyed it, but also learned something. So I love adding the sort of the history bits in or a, a sort of easy way to, um, do that, but equally, and you can, you can usually find a, a tenuous link somewhere and people tend not to mind if you can just link it up even slightly, then it's, you know, um, the autumn thing. I mean, it's, it's incredibly tenuous, yeah. isn't it really? It's just a color and it's the idea of a shot feeling good, but it's, it's enough. But I think it demonstrates that you're coming, you come to it from a writing background. I mean, I think there's something very literary about creating, you know, a short film basically with, you know, a theme in mind rather than just 
here's the car. You know, I think that's the difference between, um, that's what I like about the work you do, um, as opposed to a lot of other automotive journalism, where it's just strictly get in, turn the key. How does this thing drive? It's, there's, there's this, it's wrapped in something. And I think as a writer myself, uh, someone who studied English literature in college, you know, it's just, I, I enjoy that. It's the same way I watch uh, feature films as well, you know, for those themes and metaphors and things. Yeah, I think it's um, one of those things I, I always say that actually, you know, magazine background is a very good background for um, video or it certainly seems that way to me because I, I always loved the photography side of um, magazines. I, I had dreams of being able to be a sort of, I suppose, writer and photographer until you realise that it's just, um, well, as, as you know, James, it's, it's very difficult to do <laughs> do that and drive the car at the same time. So I, I something had to give and there are much more talented photographers than me. But it, But the the idea of creating a a feature for a magazine where you want the words and the photos to all work together and i love working with the photographers on that um as you you're off somewhere and you know i you know again suggest shots because i thought well that could work and then you know i'd write about it and this is the feature of the car and you want to see the car behaving like this in a corner or um whatever it is um so you you end up with something where the words and the pictures are working together and then it's a sort of you know it's a, a, a relatively sort of short um hop skip and a jump to actually being being video and we wanted when we started out doing the video i always wanted the videos to represent um what was in evo magazine um so to that extent and i thought i looked at the sort of the you look at the, the skiing videos or um the the mount some of the mountain biking videos and stuff like that and I, I couldn't understand why there didn't seem to be anyone um doing too much of that at the time other than top gear i thought well there must be um a way of of doing that so that's that's i suppose the approach i i had and um yeah more time that i wasn't on camera the, the better as far as i was concerned so the car is the star <laughs> yeah you know you you just mentioned mountain biking and, and certainly most of our listeners will know you from the car world but uh, you know i've 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 seen that you're you're some you're obviously an avid cyclist and you've done some some uh bicycle riding as well are you still active in that space and and obviously you're still you're still a cyclist i still see the occasional photo on instagram of you on a bike <laughs> I'm curious about that side of your life, you know, briefly, we'll, we'll, we'll weigh heavily on the car and the car stuff and this, uh, podcast, but, um, you've had some amazing, uh, bike experiences too. I mean, I think I saw you, you've ridden up uh, Mont Ventoux. Are, are you still riding about bikes? Uh, yeah, hopefully I sort of, I haven't done too much recently just because of, um, well, uh, the dreaded COVID, but, um, it's, it's been great when it sort of came about, I suppose I was, I was doing a bit of sort of bike reviewing, um i'd sort of done various i used to do duathlons because um i i swim like a bowling <laughs> ball so um running and cycling was all i could do i couldn't manage the full triathlon but when uh dennis publishing who owned evo i'd sort of been saying for ages that should start up start up a cycling magazine and the editor came to me and said well you know what you do with cars and those sort of those journeys and stuff like that that's what we want to do with this so you know given you cycle could you go and go and do some so i i did the first ever one of those for cyclist magazine huh. and then yeah they, they they kept going doing that and then more recently uh when i turned freelance um we started a series on classic climbs um which was was great so it would be me and a photographer and we'd bung a bike in the back of a car and um seven lots of seven or eight lots of kit and then we'd disappear off to the pyrenees or the alps or the dolomites or something like that for a, um we drive out one day and then you generally have five days of of cycling and then drive back on um 
the sixth or seventh day and it's a very weird way to cycle because you just start cold at the bottom of a big mountain climb and then oh, climb up yeah. it bung the bike in the back <laughs> of the car again and then head off to the next one so usually getting a pizza along the way or something like that so uh yeah it's a bizarre way of doing it but fantastic way of, of ticking off a lot of a lot of climbs and i, I loved loved doing that you need to merge your worlds and put a roof rack on something exotic and, uh, and start taking bikes on your, on your car. Right <laughs> I have got a picture somewhere of me, me sliding a McLaren with a, oh, with a bicycle on the roof. Um, it's, um, it's not my McLaren, not my bicycle. So, you know, that's, it's, that's uh, perfect. It's, combo. <laughs> <laughs> I would hate to have to slide exactly. a McLaren that it's I own. <laughs> <laughs> it's been nice how the things have overlapped at times as well. So I've definitely, I've used roads that I've cycled to then, um, you know, test, take cars there and, and, and vice versa as well. I did, uh, I did, I cycled Land's End to John Groats hmm. many years ago, um, not long after I started um, road cycling and then repeated the journey. Um, not again, not using motorways because obviously you can't do that on a bike. So yeah, Land's End to John Groats without motorways and a Nissan GTR um, a few, few years after that. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It is a really fascinating world. And I think the the other overlap in and it works for us really well, obviously, but the other overlap between people who are really fascinated in the mechanicals of a, of a bike or or the, you know, the mechanicals of a car is also watches. And uh, we'd be remiss to go this entire show and not chit chat a bit about watches because, <laughs> you know, if you watch a YouTube car video or a Top Gear or whatever, you can always spot some watches, but you can't ever tell. You know, it's a lot of Rolex. It's a lot of stuff that's a little bit more on the generic <laughs> side. Uh, but with you, you know, we see some specificity in what's on your wrist and because you drive on, uh, what would be for you, the correct side of the car, not so much for, for myself, more so for Jason with his vehicles, <laughs> you get a chance to actually see the watch occasionally, uh, kind of prominently featured in the shot. Whereas for me, it would be against the door. What, what, what's your kind of, kind of scope on watches and, and, and that sort of thing. Is it a, a point of appreciation or just kind of a, a sideline? Uh, it's sort of, well, well, firstly, actually, I always, it's always when I'm driving a left-hand drive car for me, so on the wrong side because I always wear my oh, wear my watch same. on the right, yeah. um, oh, so, and I always have them. Which um, <laughs> I had it backwards so, in my yeah, mind. Yeah, it's kind of it's one of those things. Um, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, I know it's going to. Um, so yeah, occasionally people will accuse me of of putting a watch on the wrong wrist, to, and I have to say no, no. You go back and watch. I've never never ever worn my watch on them um, on the left-hand wrist, but um, I'm with. Are you left-handed, or you just prefer it on that wrist? No, I'm, I'm right-handed. I just just prefer it on huh. on right hand so I, I don't know why i've always always done it since a young age so it's just just feels right for for some reason well we can remember your some of your early videos i mean we've, we've been referring to your videos since like five years back on tgn and i remember some of the earliest ones that james would say oh check out henry's latest thing and oh yeah he's got a speedmaster on yeah you used to be a, a big omega speedmaster yeah. guy and then <laughs> and then of late it's been it's been largely uh your, your bremont which makes us happy that's that's really cool too but uh yeah. absolutely yeah to james's question is that is, has it been a, a long time interest of yours watches yes i've always um i suppose taken an interest in in watches and um it's not something I, I suppose i've actually got into it even more recently partly through listening to um your your podcast i've sort of wanted to know more about you know what's what's on my wrist um i remember the speedmaster really came about because i remember going through nice airport 
and used to it an awful lot because you know the sort of you tend to it seems to be it was Portugal for a while and Portimao lots of launches through there but for a for long while it was Nice and the sort of um, going to the the roads above there for car launches and there's not really anything to do in Nice airport once you've gone through security other than there is um, a reasonable sized um, watch shop um, so it would always be a case of prowling around that and looking at whatever was in there. And I remember just remember seeing a seeing a Speedmaster for the first time and and thinking that is absolutely. I didn't know anything really about it, but I I knew that it was um, a beautiful looking watch. And of course, then you you go down the whole rabbit hole of understanding it um, more and more and more. And um, so yeah, it's um, my my absolute pride and joy um, having having that. And then um, got to know um the the guys over at Bromont Giles and Nick English um and uh so yeah I, I always again always loved the U2 um 51 jet which is quite different actually to a lot of their their other watches um, very much so, yeah. something about it that just 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 appealed and yeah I've actually I have there's a a watch which has never appeared in any um videos because um, partly because it doesn't doesn't actually work at the moment but um one of these days um will will it's sort of it's it'll come to me because it's my my grandfather's um watch um i i sadly never never met him um because he he died when my mother was um 16 but he was a um he was a tenant farmer and this sort of the story of how he got the watches um it was it was given to him but um it's it was something that i i did a sort of bit of research on a few few years ago it's a lovely watch in its sort of own right. I I, I love the look of it, um, but it's a, a Vacheron and Constantine, um, and it's nineteen forty three wow. um, oh chronograph. It's a four oh seven. My father had some lovely taste. Um, wow, chronograph. So yeah, it's a, it's a, a lovely thing. So one of these days we need to get it properly properly restored, but but not. I don't want to lose any of the the pattern in it. So we need to kind of work out a way of of, of doing that. So. Yeah, we can definitely make that uh, connection happen with Vacheron. That's uh, that's no sweat at all if uh, if you're keen. And uh, we can also make sure that you've got a proper gray NATO for the uh, the U2. We can get one of those <laughs> piece of cake with pros Thank at that. You. At yeah, right, right. You, you you might you might have noticed that I always wear a. I, I've always loved a NATO um, strap. It's it's all I all I ever wear. So uh, yeah, there's something something about a. We tend to notice those things for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, anything else? Uh, anything else? Kind of on, on the radar for the watch thing, or or these the uh, the speedy? And I think I've seen you wear. Do I have this wrong? A red G Shock as well? Uh, yeah, it's not actually a G Shock really. It's just a, a, a sort of um, a, a more um, basic. Uh, Is it like a G lid or um, Casio? Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 um, um, you wore that for ages until the strap eventually um, broke. It was very noticeable in videos. It was. Um, yeah, given to me by my mother-in-law one Christmas, and I like red. Yeah, hence collecting the Ferraris originally. So, um, wore that, and um, yeah, there are all sorts of things I sort of I would would like, I suppose, and sort of um, have a an interest in the original um, Porsche design. Oh, uh, yeah. chronograph from oh, the Orphenus. Yeah, yeah, I think is yeah. is lovely. Yeah, which um, with a PVD coating, sort of. I think there's obviously something around black watches, which I I really really like, um, and some of the I always liked the, uh, the Tagoya Monza, um, sort of that, um, just slightly smaller, um, slightly different, um, which, um, yeah. And a cool connection back to Ferrari too in the seventies. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Neat stuff. Um, yeah. And then some of the, I suppose the, the Speedmaster, the, I, I still love the, um, the, the racing, um, versions of the, um, 
Speedmaster Professional with the sort of the slightly coloured oh, chapter yeah. rings and things like that, I think are, are, are super cool. Um, and obviously, it's yeah. You know, whilst I like the idea of um, watches that, um, whilst I'm I'm not a pilot, I do love flying, and um, hence the sort of appeal of some of the the Braemont watches. And I like the the driving side of of watches. Um, I like I like dive watches, but as I said before, water's not really my my friend, so um, <laughs> I don't have a great deal of sort of <laughs> um, shorter wearing on the shower. It's not really a great deal of um, um, use to me to some extent, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's great. I mean, I, it does seem very fitting for some reason to see both the, the Bremont and the Speedmaster on your wrist uh, in those videos. So I like the look of the Bremont um, face as well, because it's kind of very reminiscent of the old uh, dials you see on the sort of you know, 50s, 60s sports cars. Um, and um, yeah, they, there's just something very simple about it, but but yeah. attractive. So yes, there we go. <laughs> Well, look, Henry, I uh, I don't want to keep you for too long. I know that it's a it's a school, you know, kids coming home from school time of day uh, where you are. Uh, I've got about 50, 60 other questions that we'll leave for uh, maybe a further, a further uh, chit chat at some point. Uh, I, I can't thank you enough. Or Jason, I can't thank you enough. This is uh, this has been lovely. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And besides your Instagram, anywhere that you'd like to point people to, Carfections, we'll, we'll have everything in the notes, so no, nobody has to try and memorize anything, but uh, anywhere that you'd love people to uh, interface with your work? Uh, yeah, I suppose Carfection is obviously where the, the videos are. I'm doing a lot of, uh, I write for Evo, as you say, and um, The Intercooler, which is a, a relatively new app, but I, I write for them on a, a weekly basis, and I have to say I'm, um, I'm thoroughly enjoying doing a bit more writing, which is... Um, is is nice so uh, yeah that's that's worth worth checking out as well as I say all the Insta- instagrams where i mostly um do any social media and i'm just at henry catchpole so it's nice and easy <laughs> perfect well thanks so much henry no thank you it's um, been thoroughly enjoyable to have a have a chat so thank you All right. Well, that was uh, that was such a great chat with Henry, and and felt like such a fitting way to kind of close out what's been a really big year for TGN, and uh, kind of takes yeah. us back to our roots. I mean, Henry was Henry was mentioned, and as I mentioned, the earliest episodes of of TGN way back when, and and so to finally get him on the show just kind of feels like we're closing the circle here, and and I think it kicks us off for for I think what'll be another amazing year next year. I agree. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Thank you so much, Henry. Uh, I hope everyone listening really enjoyed that. You should definitely. Find Henry on Instagram, send him a message and say thank you. Uh, you know, there was a very busy time that we lined this up and he still made time for it. So show him a thank you, uh, tag him in a post, something like that. So we appreciate it. And uh, of course, Henry, we appreciate you and we look forward to having you on some sometime again in the future. We got, like I said, I got so many more questions. <laughs> I'm just, I literally have to scroll Let's... past them all as I go down to final notes <laughs> in our show plan. <laughs> Well, since uh, since it was a talk about uh, largely about automotive video, um, why don't you go first with your final note? It seems fitting. Yeah, so I, I actually have two. I just uh, so I'll start with the one that's in the notes, and then I'll finish with a mention of something that that is actually now a year old. The first one is a video. Uh, it, it's it's just it's it's five minutes of watching someone drive a car really hard, <laughs> and I don't maybe this doesn't apply to most people. For me, like this this could almost be like all I want. You know, when Petrolicious was kind of really at their rise, they used to end the, the video with like about a minute or so of somebody really just just hustling a car on a nice piece of road. Mm-hmm. And there's something really special when you see how just how engaging, especially if you're like a, an automotive content nerd to the level that I am. I try and see as much that I, as I can about it. And so little of it is just car and driver. 
Yeah. I mean, obviously yeah. there's a, a magazine called Car and Driver. <laughs> um, but so little of it's just the car and the driver without talking about it, without trying to provide some additional context or teach someone. And and some of these ones that are that are from, you know, clips of rally car driving. I love that kind of stuff. And then this came through uh, my feed. I actually don't remember how I found it. Um, it might have been on, uh, it might have been Bring a Trailer. might have published this as like, a, you should watch this. Mm-hmm. It's in a BART, a 2000 Sport Prototipo being driven by Max uh, Camelli. And it, like, I like this because this was published in 2010. And the title literally includes .avi at the end. <laughs> this is pre-YouTube. Nobody ever did this to like get a whole lot of views. It's got 140,000 views, so fair play. Uh, from a, a channel, uh, a name that I'm not going to uh, destroy on here, but I'll put the I'll put the link in the show notes. And it's just it's just a guy running this car at the absolute ragged edge. I love this kind of stuff. I just adore it. Yeah. Um. And 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 it feels even more special when we're talking about 50s and 60s race cars. Yeah. You know, one of my favorites was the Petrolicious, where they had the 250 GTO, mm-hmm. and and they're on a what looks like kind of a, a well, it's a West Coast mountainy sort of road, but big a big road for a big car like a GTO, and it's it's the sound between the gear shifts, it's the 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 carburetors, the it's it's all of it. It's um. It's some wonderful stuff. I know. I know. I've included that in the show notes in the past, and I think this is like five minutes where it's almost like meditative to watch, yeah. Because you're seeing so much happening at once, but the end result is so smooth and functional, and uh, I, I love it. Yeah, I've, I've rambled enough. Uh, check out the Abart 2000 Sport Prototipo driven by Max Comelli. It'll be in the show notes. Yeah, that was a good one. I enjoyed that. Yeah, it kind of reminds so me there was fun. another one too of that guy driving a Ferrari through the streets of Paris. I think it was shot back in the 60s or the 70s. I don't know if it was legit or not. I think there was some discussion that maybe it was uh, part of the parts of it were faked or something. But oh, anyway, for Rendezvous? Maybe that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, Rendezvous is a whole different... We can talk about Rendezvous at length. Huh. Rendezvous is wonderful. And then Simon Kidson remade a version of it last year. Huh. Uh, and I think Rendezvous... It, the soundtrack is from a, a Ferrari. The The camera car is something else entirely. Oh, okay. And then it's kind of layered over. Okay. <sighs> Wonderful time. I do I do love I do love a good driving video. And yeah, Rendezvous is a good one. I'll include that in the show notes too, just in case someone hasn't seen it. Some some definitely some rad stuff. Yeah. What have uh what have you got for us? A, a classic pick, it looks like. Yeah, so mine is uh it's kind of an annual end of year recommendation. It's it's something I listen to every year uh, at least once, uh, right around uh, Christmas time. It's uh, a reading of Frederick Forsyth's short story called The Shepherd as read by the Canadian radio personality Fireside Al Maitland of the CBC. And uh it's it's a end of year tradition uh both on the CBC and and now for me. And we've mentioned it before, but this year I have a, a new link that's actually directly from CBC's website. I think the the YouTube link that um, we used to uh, we used to post isn't quite as friendly for for just listening. Um, but it, it's just it's a wonderful holiday story that isn't really about the holidays, but it's kind of holiday spirit like, and it also it, it's it's quite TGN. There's there's a few watch references in it um, that I, I won't give away. I, you know, Forsyth doesn't mention the the brand of watch, but I think. Uh, you could probably guess what it is based on the era and and who's actually um, wearing it. But it's it's a story about uh, a young RAF pilot who's trying to fly home to from uh, an airbase in Germany in the 1950s to to back to England to get home in time for Christmas, and he runs into a little bit of trouble. And uh, it's it's just a, it's just a delightful story, and I think it's made even better by Al Maitland's reading. I think he he lives up to his uh, his nickname Fireside Al. I think you know listening to this. Uh, 
in front of a crackling fire, kind of on, on a Bluetooth speaker or something. You just sort of sink into it and uh, and listen to to him read this. It's uh, it's just a wonderful kind of holiday Christmas time uh, listen. So check it out. It's uh, it's Forsyth's The Shepherd, as read by Al Maitland on the CBC, and we'll throw that link in the in the show notes for you to enjoy. An annual pick. Yeah. Someday we'll we'll record a, a story. And, oh yeah, and yeah. continue. We do. We just need the right story. Right, right. You can read it. I'll produce it. Yeah. Well, it can be the you know the shepherd too or oh, that's something a great like idea. that. You should write it. Yeah, I will do that and for next we'll year. We'll go from there. I'll, I'll commit yeah, to that short story. Yeah, yeah, I like it. All right. My third one is is a pretty easy one. I, and if you follow me on Instagram, you already know what I'm going to talk about. Uh, a, a year ago on the winter solstice, Fleet Foxes and ro- their frontman Robin Pecknold released. Uh, you had to pay for it at the time, but released a, a live performance recorded in a cathedral in Brooklyn called A Very Lonely Solstice. Now, a year later, again on the solstice, he released it uh, free on YouTube. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on Tidal if you just want the audio. But the video is on YouTube. And I I think it's just simply one of the best live performances I've ever come across. Some of my favorite Fleet Foxes songs. Certainly not all of them. That would be a much longer show. And it is just Robin, for the most part. He is a a choir at one point. And in my mind, it's going to be the, the kind of one of these persistent things where someone managed to make something during COVID that was still like beautiful because of it, Mm. not in spite of it. Yeah. So the choir's all separated. They're wearing masks. They all have their own microphone. And then a lot of his songs, he's up in the, I don't think you would call it a balcony in in a cathedral. He's up at the top. Choir loft. Um, (laughs) Right. He's up in a loft uh, next to where the organ pipes are. And it's just him. And the way that they've recorded it is so specific. It's so beautiful. You can hear all the room tone. Oh yeah, and and on a decent set of headphones, I mean, even on AirPods, it sounds incredible. And then if you've got a decent set of speakers at home, and and you're not going to bother anyone, crank it because th- th- there's something um, wonderful about an echo if it's if it's in support of what's happening. If it's about space rather than reflection, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't want an echo on my voice in in the Grenado, but if you if you listen to this, I think you'll know what I mean. There's there's a um a sort of almost celestial feeling to the the recording. And I, I absolutely love it. So that's a very lonely solstice by the Fleet Foxes. It's on their YouTube. It's in the show notes. Uh, and I highly recommend it. And, and if you check it out, they don't do this kind of thing very often. I would love to see it become more common. So, you know, maybe give it a like or drop a comment, tell a friend, get the word out. Fleet Fox is a big band, of course, like a, to a certain kind of age range and and taste. Uh, but I think this, there's something here that almost anyone could sit and enjoy for sure. Yeah, I, I- I caught the, kind of the beginning of it when you posted it on Instagram. I'd forgotten that you you talked about this last year, and I actually neglected to, to listen to it. So I've I've got it uh, bookmarked. I'm definitely going to check that out either before or after uh, after I listen to the Shepherd. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, fitting stuff for this time of year. <laughs> That's a good uh, a good double header. Yeah, for a very chill night. Yeah, yeah. As always, thank you so much for listening. It's been quite a year. Subscribe to the show notes via notes.thegraynado.com or check the feed for more details and links. You can follow us on Instagram, that's at Jason Heaton and at J.E. Stacy, and you can follow the show at The Grey NATO. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and review wherever you find your podcast and consider supporting the show via thegreynado.com. Music throughout is Siesta by Jazzar via the free music archive. And we leave you with this quote from Sir Sterling Moss, who said, To achieve anything in this game, you must be prepared to dabble in the boundary of disaster. <laughs>